The best insight, instant feedback, accountability. The all new Talk Radio Freedom 106.5. As I said to you all, we get into another one of our interviews. We put these topics down. Actually, what we're going to discuss, we'll be dealing with some of what we spoke of earlier on. Joining us now, we have someone who will definitely shed some light into some of the issues that uh, we've been discussing, probably highlight some of the issues that we should be discussing. That's attorney at law, Nairi Alfonso. Good morning to you and welcome to our program. Good morning. Um, thank you for having me on and good morning to your listeners. It's nice to have you with us here this morning. If there's anyone who can shed some light into some of what needs to be discussed, it's definitely you. I'm looking at uh, some of what they sent um, related to your experience and so on, but I'll give you the opportunity to familiarize the listeners with you in this regard. I mean, your name is one that definitely they know um, from other instances that have been in the public domain, but let's give you the opportunity to, to, to advise and appraise our listeners of, of who you are and your specialities dealing in this issue with maritime law versus all that's taking place with this spell. Tell us. Um, um, um. I would be very brief. I sort of practiced maritime law for upwards of 30 years this year. Um, um, I do specialize in um, maritime claims, marine insurance claims, and I have a specialty area in my postgraduate diploma in maritime law, um, dealing with oil and chemical pollution into the sea. So I think I think that's enough. Well, that's definitely <laughs> enough because that's exactly what we're talking about. We've been talking about it for the greater part of two, three weeks. And yet still, there are some issues that don't seem to be clear and probably need, need dissecting a bit or explaining for the public to understand. How would you describe what's going on in Tobago right now? Um, disastrous, crying shame, um, you know, I mean disappointing all manner of, of words but the fact is it is in fact disappointing um that the response has not been as robust that as, as you know one would have hoped it would have been so assuming this barge that was carrying what we are told is five thousand metric tons of some form of refined fuel um came into tobago waters sometime it looks like a few days before the 7th of february when she turned up on the reef mm-hmm. so she said just turn up on the reef it appears that she drifted onto the reef um looking at the satellite imagery that other people have been able to pull um so there are some there's some word that uh tobago fishermen were reporting the presence of oil in the water but that was dismissed as sargassum grass originally so i'm told by members of the media but be that as it may certainly by the 7th of may which is two weeks ago to the day i believe um we knew that this vessel was here. We knew that the vessel was actively leaking quite significant, subs- you know, quantities of substance into the into the water, and yet, fourteen days later, um, you know, a robust response did not happen. So when you needed the robust response, would have been to contain the the oil that was coming out of the of the overturned barge. Mm-hmm. Um, so. The minute that you have oil and 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 it's you know it, it's fouling your beaches and your sand and you know your surrounding coastline, well that ship has sailed on you. That that ability to contain, or that, you know, the fact that it what demonstrates that you do not move quickly enough is the fact that the oil was able to reach the 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 the, 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 the land. Mm. Now remember, 
this is not Exxon Valdez or Tory Canyon where we're talking 120,000 tons of fuel or 200,000 tons of fuel. This is a smaller quantity of fuel from a smaller vessel. So containment should have been easy because people are going to say, well, look, first world countries in Alaska and um, off Italy and so on had massive oil spills, but the quantities were far greater and those were crude oil discharges by and large. Mm. So, now, so we had a, a smaller quantity and yet we were not able to contain it um, so that we could limit the amount of damage that, that occurred. Yeah. Now, the, the spill itself, and the impact it has had on the environment and the ecological effect it's going to have for how many other years and so on, those are after the fact. Those, yes. are, those are after the fact that a vessel was moving in between our waters or wherever, transporting something, and it seems very much as if it was a clandestine operation, that a lot of, of what was taking place was flying under the radar, and had it not been for this vessel running aground in Tobago, we might not have even been aware, by and large, of what was taking place. The Coast Guard claims they were clueless about what was going on until their ship ran aground and they were notified by fishermen. And when, when the story initially broke, and afterwards when the Coast Guard did their checks, they said to us that this vessel involved two, this incident involved two vessels, a tugboat and the one that was pulling this thing, and it was going to Guyana. Now, when Guyana spoke about it through its vice president, Barra Jagdale, he didn't seem too much to want to actually accept all that was being said. Now, it raises some concerns because people are asking, fishermen and friends of the sea, others are, are asking, who's ultimately responsible here? Who do we hold accountable? Who's going to pay for all these things? Who, who should we look to for compensation? Um, and in your opinion, taking all that has happened into consideration, where do we begin to look for that needle in this haystack? Well, it shouldn't be a needle in a haystack. Um, I mean, Trinidad is in, 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 as I said, several levels of problems. Um, there are international uh, treaties which deal with um, damage from oil spills. Um, we have signed some, we haven't signed some, but more importantly, and that's the most important factor, we haven't made our parliament, our, our parliament, our parliament has not brought um, those international obligations and facilities into local law. Meaning, so the state may have signed up some of the protocols, some of the conventions, but there's no law in Trinidad which operationalizes it, it locally. Effective. So, so it's not in force, right? right? Uh, so even if we find this vessel or we find her owners, we don't need to fi physically find the vessel. We need to find her owners. They are not going to be as mobile as the vessel itself. Uh, we need to find her insurance uh, carrier, and we need to say pay this bill. But when you put it in the context of what our litigation landscape is looking like, I'm not too sure that that is going to be 100% effective, assuming this vessel is properly insured and so on. And I'm talking of not the one that's overturned, but the one that has disappeared, which is the solo creed. Mm -hmm. uh, now, barges are, when they say a, a barge is a dumb barge, one of the reasons they say it's a dumb barge is because it has no motor, it has no ability to maneuver itself. It is maneuvered by virtue of the tug. So it is possible that the tug did something 
wrong or not 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 in accordance with good navigational practices and then and and therefore the the barge broke away um so you need to find the tug in those circumstances but assuming something happened to the and, and you had insurance you could try to make a claim and so on but assuming something went wrong with the barge let's say some plate fa failed some hole developed something hit it in the water any number of things um that would not be negligence that that wouldn't necessarily be negligence and there would not necessarily be recoverability even if that barge had insurance and i question whether the barge has proper insurance because the details of that barge are very very difficult to come by mm -hmm. a lot of things like about the dark fleet so many countries have something called a dark fleet it means a fleet that is operating undercover because it's either running drugs it's running illicit um, cargoes you know on custom goods like alcohol and cigarettes and so on narcotics or sanction fuel that... so so you know so as i said if this barge is really up was really operating to tow something of that nature um then she's going to be on the lowdown not not easy to come you know not easily to, to find to touch and probably not properly insured well, the, the, the that brings into into question the the issue of of responsibility and and you'll guide us accordingly in the conversation when am i responsible in a legal standing let's just say the information in the public domain is that this cargo was destined for Guyana, and that it and I, think, I think Guyana has, in fact, um, some authorities in Guyana have, in fact, announced that the vessel never arrived and is overdue and was expected. Right. So, so that means the consignee of the cargo. It would have translated to me that the consignee of the cargo yeah. is resident somewhere in in Guyana. So then, who's so the 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 cargo in the open ocean? Does it belong to someone in Guyana? Does it belong to Guyana and if the cargo something happens it as it did who do we hold accountable do we hold the tugboat um, operator do we hold the person who he was going to where does that level of accountability come in if it does well i've given the analogy there's no liability on in terms of the recipient or the consignee you know the intended recipient of the cargo mm. which we call consignee, because i've given the analogy and i hope it holds good that if I go to courts and I buy a, a, a furniture set and while it's being transported to my home, you know, something with the tail of the of the, the truck, uh, you know, breaks loose and the, the coat, a coat falls out and damages your car, I wouldn't have any liability. You could look at courts, you could look at the independent transport um, contractor, assuming it is an independent transport contractor, and they will have liability. But me the end recipient would because i bought this furniture set and it was being transported to my home i would have no liability mm -hmm. so it takes and that would be the same that would be same for the whoever the guyanese um uh, recipient or, or consignee is mm. so the, the logic would stand regardless of the circumstances um in the individual case uh, so from what you've outlined to us and and as a nation us not having the proper legal framework in place as a result of these treaties and not affecting them to Parliament and making them law and everything else. When it comes to us recovering our costs, it seems as though there's very little possibility that that can happen. 
Well, I wouldn't want to say that because I said when when the accident first happened, I said I I didn't pay too much attention. It was my mother's birthday, right? Uh, and literally hit that day was well, <laughs> birthday. Uh, and short within a matter of days, I left the jurisdiction where many of your media fellow media practitioners found me. But um, I would have spent, I said, maybe an hour, hour and a half making some inquiries to my international contacts and we were able to find quite a bit of information but i am as i've said before i am at best a well-informed bystander Mm. i'm not a government institution i'm not a government agency we do have a government agency that is in charge of maritime matters in trinidad as there is one in guyana so let us start from simple nobody has to be sherlock holmes we have a maritime services division. There's an institution called MARAD, which is the Maritime Authority in Guyana. My Maritime Authority can call MARAD and say, well, who is the intended recipient of this vessel? What information do they have in terms of the ownership of the vessel that was carrying their cargo? Because if I hire a vessel to bring a cargo to me, I'm going to know who owns it, what it, whether it has insurance, where it's coming from, what's the estimated date of delivery i'm going to have particulars so that's a starting point the missing in action solo creed is flagged or registered in tanzania my maritime um, services division can call up the registry in tanzania and say listen we've had this incident and i want all the particulars of this vessel um i want to know who owns her who operator who manages her i want to know about her insurance and I want to know what she was doing and the identity of what she was doing. These are very simple steps that do not require any Sherlock Holmes type capability. So two weeks on, with B, I said two weeks on. I can't imagine that a, a, a you know the officials in Trinidad and Tobago cannot track down the information. The, the conspiracy theories are abound of all kinds of things, As, and one of those was initially suggested by the THA chief secretary. That the government knows more than they they're telling us and he actually used the term cover-up um he has since recanted that and back back a little bit as we say backpedal a bit from the term cover-up um, but he's still holding fast to the position that there's much more to this than meets the eye uh, f- given the piece ethos of Trinidad and Tobago is to have conspiracy theories right um I am, if there was going to be a, a cover-up, I, I can't see why, so I wouldn't want to speculate, but what I, I, I would like to see some transparency and some forthrightness from the government is, tell us why, if you have 360 radio, radio coverage of our shores, why you were not able to detect, you know, something amiss, something coming in, towing, something, something leaving without, something it was towing without making a port of call, um, um, and why was a Coast Guard vessel not dispatched? Because this was not this should be uh, should be uh, you know deemed to be a suspicious um, activity. But none of those things happen. So that's the first question that you know I think that these kinds of things are lending themselves um, to conspiracy theories because there's not a lot of information out there, or maybe there's a lot of information has been gathered and is just not being shared with members of the public. I, I have no idea. It it would be strange to me that so many members of the public, particularly in Tobago, are being affected and they would not be given any information that has been obtained. And to the contrary, several ministers 
are coming out and saying, you know, it's so difficult to do this. There are 350 vessels called the Gulf Stream and so on. Well, there's only one vessel called the Solo Creed. That much I could tell you. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and it is registered in Tanzania. So you, you, I mean, like, just like the police have a job to do an investigation, there is an investigation investigation process that could have been undertaken, which is much more simple than the average um, crime in Trinidad and Tobago. So if those things have not been engaged or they've been engaged and information has been gathered and it has not been shared with members of the public, then, you know, I think that's an absolutely wrong approach. And I say this is not attack, an attack on any political party, but this is just to say a government has a responsibility to keep its populace informed and properly informed. Mm-hmm. Don't wait for people like Nairi Alfonso to come along and say, well, okay, because members of the press are calling her, let, let me try and find out some information. I'm not a government agency. Mm-hmm. And therefore, my reach is not as 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 deep and as long as the, as the state apparatus are going to be. Yeah. And yet still you've been able to find out much more and give us a lot more information than we've had from the official channels and your limited checks that you've been able to do. We need to take a couple messages, but when we get back, I, I want us to speak a bit about we're hearing now about compensation for fishermen and residents and property owners and all of these kinds of things. I want you to speak a bit to that and what are the possibilities, what people can and cannot expect realistically in a situation like this. And of course, ladies and gentlemen, you'll be free to join the conversation by making a phone call as well. We are speaking this morning to Attorney Nairi Alfonso discussing what's going on in Tobago. Stay with us. Welcome back. 19 minutes before 8, news at the top. With us this morning and continuing our conversation, Attorney Nairi Alfonso, discussing all these things taking place in Tobago. Feel free to join our conversation if you'd like to on 627-3223-625-2257. And your WhatsApp messages, continue sending those to 306-1065. Before we went to the break, I suggested that, well, let's focus a bit on some of the individuals who've been affected directly. But before we get to that, I think we have a call. Let's see who this is. Hello, good morning. Morning, Lucky me. Um, you know, sometimes, if not a lot of times, the approach taken by our leaders, you know, and I'm going to use the term loosely, sometimes. Because just as Ms. Alfonso says, a lot of the information that she was able to get, what is stopping those in our search to get the same information and so much more? And it reminded me about the Dar Smith issue where the Prime Minister um, initiated some sort of investigation and that investigation fell apart. I don't remember exactly why, for one reason or the other. And that was the end of that matter. So if it fell apart, all well and good, what stopped you from initiating another investigation? Which means you were quite satisfied with the investigation fall apart and the case going nowhere and everything is just in, in abeyance. And you could have simply just conducted another investigation. And it seems to be the same thing that is going to happen here. The lack of interest, the the 
pedestrian approach to get information and to appraise the public until the matter may just fade away. You know, every nine day one day in that. And that might just very well be the end of this. The approach to this, it seems to not be important to be treated with the urgency that it ought to be. Mm. Okay. Thank you very much. All right, caller. Thank you so much for your call. So whether that's deliberate or not, I mean, the jury's out. You'll be discussing that from now until the kingdom come. But um, there are there are issues that won't just simply go away, not as a matter like this. You, the international attention that this has uh, attracted already warrants answers to certain questions, that's for sure. And then you have persons who have suffered personally. And the fishermen, well, they start talking about the fishermen already. And then they started talking about the ecological disaster that this is that we'll be dealing with for years to come. And they reference the one in point up here where we still haven't recovered from that and the amount of oil that was minuscule compared to this one. Then you have property owners who have uh, all incurred some kind of distress as a result of what's going on. So you can't wish this one away. Um, but attorney, tell us, what are some of the things that people can realistically expect to come out of something like this if they were to pursue or, or think in their minds, well, here now, I need some kind of uh, compensation for want of a different term. Well, again, we, we're back to the to the to where we started, which is, okay, let's at least track down the owners and operators of the both the tug and the barge. Let us see if there is some mechanism available to, the, to, to individual persons and the state of Trinidad and Tobago um, to recoup some of the cost or some or all of the cost attendant with the cleanup. I mean, so as I said my, my primary position would have been contain the leak, mm. stop the leakage of oil uh, by, you know, plugging whatever the source of the leakage was. Um, but certainly as you as your immediate attention is, a t- is turned from that, mm. then you have to look at how um, I have to clean, so Trinidad has to take the view, I have to clean up my shores, you know, the state of Trinidad and Tobago has to clean up its shores, it has to, you know, try to minimize the, the ecological disaster that has happened. Um, but if you're looking for somebody to compensate you or to foot the bill, um, that's something that was, you know, you, you need to aggressively, unfortunately, litigation, yeah, they said the law does not assist those who sit idly by. Mm-hmm. Right? So if, if you don't aggressively pursue these issues, um, then you're likely that Trinidad and Tobago is footing their own bill. And it seems very much as if Trinidad and Tobago at this point in time is, is comfortable with footing its own bill because we don't seem to have that, ag- that aggression. I hope, I hope not. I mean, while we have not signed, while we've only signed these international uh, conventions and protocols, not brought it into our domestic law, that would certainly stymie any type of private sector claim, you know, any private individual claim. Mm. The government could explore. I, I mean, only last night I was thinking about it. If they're signatories to these things and these people have proper insurance, they could try as a state um, to make a claim because the state itself is the, if you like, when you're a signatory to a convention, you're considered a contracting party. Mm. So the state might be able, as opposed to us, individuals I think are out unless they can show negligence on the part of the tug or the barge or both, as the case may be, but the state 
might want to examine, they have lawyers aplenty um, and senior ones at that, whether they themselves as a state could make a claim mm-hmm. um, uh, because they are contracting parties to these conventions. I mean, that's a possibility. Um, I think the primary, the starting point is fine. I, my international sources tell me that the solo creed have not put on, hasn't put on her AIS for 15 days. That was yesterday. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and AIS is, of course, what allows people to track the movements of the vessel using satellite technology. It's like a GPS for vessels. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so therefore, certainly we could the takeaway for me is she's hiding. The solo mm-hmm. creed is hiding. Unfortunately, the barge cannot hide because she's upside down on a reef. Mm-hmm. Um, so we need to use all of the state apparatus, yeah. all of the state's powers including inviting international assistance. There are, there are many things that happen in Trinidad and Tobago in the maritime sector that we work in collaboration with foreign entities. That is because, well, the world is a big place and there's expertise aplenty out there that is does not resident in Trinidad and Tobago. Mm-hmm. So that expertise should certainly have been brought to bear in terms of the cleanup, the containment. It wasn't. And... I'm not, I'm not sure why that is a matter for the government and the state agencies to answer. Um, but certainly in terms of the other aspects of recovering compensation, I see no reason why the state would uh, not reach out to international bodies and ask for their assistance. So that's that's on that level. The state seeking to recover its costs because of this massive cleanup that it had to engage in. But what about on, on a smaller level? Let's just say I have a property in Tobago. That is part of this 15-kilometer stretch that that oil managed to um, affect one way or the other. Uh, can I hold the government account accountable for for what I encountered simply because the government didn't act with the haste to prevent it from taking place? Would I have a case there? Well, I I would say I mean theoretically yes. If it is that you know, you know, if the, if a, if a lack of response or bad response is responsible for your know, consequential losses or additional losses or losses that should not have been sustained, yeah, technically there's you know there's a likelihood that persons could bring claims for that as well. Mm-hmm. And you, you you recall we've had fishermen and other boat owners mm-hmm. uh, in Chagaranas, you know, yacht owners and so on bring claims because oil finds its way and fouls their hulls. Well, who, who, and they have, to clean, they have to clean that. But let's just say I'm I'm trying to find out, well, who do I go after? Would my legal letter go to the Attorney General? Who who would it go to? Well, yeah, I, I would suppose the, all, all litigation um, against the state is nominally in the name of the Attorney General. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right? Uh, so if the Ministry of Energy was responsible for the cleanup, if the, the Maritime Services Division was responsible for the cleanup, who, I, I have no idea who, who was, you know, you know, who's the titular head of the, the cleaner, but it would be the state. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does seem the, the, the state's response was excessively slow. Yeah. Um, uh, once again, and, if, and ineffective at that. Not only slow, but ineffective. ineffective. Yeah. From what you've outlined to us, well, we know that the, the discussion about some sort of compensation or some other word for fishermen, that's ongoing. And I'm sure that that will sort itself out based on what the, the authorities feel. Uh, because this is not the first time we've had to deal with this. So there is precedent set as to how we'll treat with the fishermen. Moving forward, um, if I were to say, well, Attorney Nairi Alfonso, I put you in charge of this thing um, now, and I want you to sort it out for me 
as best as you see in as short as possible time, what are some of the things that you go to immediately go after? I would immediately uh, continue to search for the owners and operators and hopefully insurance of the solo creed, as well as identify properly um, the barge, because the barge is turning up with more than one name, right? Gulfstream being one of them, which was originally um, reported that to be an oil tanker. No, she's not an oil tanker. She's a barge. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so I would aggressively go after uh, to see, you know, after the owners, managers, insurance of these two units um, to see whether there are, there's any prospect of, of, you know, recouping money from them. That, mm-hmm. That'll be one. I still say uh, my focus would be on making sure that all that can be done to make safe um, the unit that is on the reef, make safe, make, you know, make sure that she doesn't leak anything else out. Uh, because, you know, a barge has con- compartments and they're watertight compartments. So we don't know if oil, all of the contents came out. We don't know if only a particular compartment was compromised and therefore what has come out is from that one compartment and there are other compartments fill, still filled with residue who, which are laying in wait um, to leak additional fuel out into the into the water and onto the shore. Um, I mean, I was out of the jurisdiction um, the, the week before and it, it stunned me to find out that in the middle of that trip that uh, commercial grade booms were now being deployed out of Trinidad. That was more than seven days after, or about seven days after the accident, or at least the discovery of the vessel on the reef had come had come about. So, as again, I said, I would want to focus the personnel who are in, who are being put in charge of that process that nothing else leaks from this, um, and that the prop the vessel is properly secured and simultaneously through a legal process, run down, literally run down the information to get the details on these two vessels. Mm. That Those are my twin focus. Yeah. And I, because I'm a woman, I'm capable of multitasking, so I hope <laughs> that the government can multitask. I want to thank you for being with us here this morning. Um, a, a, a lighter note, a very serious issue, um, because the effects of what we are, uh, are experiencing the full effect of it, we won't know for quite some time to come. Well, no, for years, yeah. for years, the the, the 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 marine environment in in that Atlantic side of Tobago will be affected. This, they, as it won't go away in days, weeks, months. You're you're in years. Mm-hmm. Get better, you know. I mean, you you'll get better. You'll clean up. You'll take it off the sand. You'll you know you'll put in disbursements in the water. Um, but the fact is. Your marine environment has been harmed, and unfortunately, Mother Nature can recover, but takes time to recover. Yeah, I want to thank you for being with us here this morning. This matter doesn't seem to be going anywhere fast, so we may need to call on your expertise again sometime in the future to, to clarify some of what's going on or what's not going on, depending on the pace of these investigations and so on. Thank you so much for being with us here this morning. Thank you very much for having me on. Have a great day. And that, of course, ladies and gentlemen, we drop the curtains on our interview with attorney Nairi Alfonso. A lot to consider. This matter that's uh, unfolding in Tobago, yes, it's the sand and uh, the water and all these kinds of things, but there are so many other things that need to be considered. We got a snapshot of some of that this morning. The best insight, instant feedback, accountability, the all-new Talk Radio Freedom 106.5.